Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. They start exercising. They start working out. When New Year's happens, you see um, the the membership in gyms go up, and you know people really they feel like they're going to turn their lives around every New Year's Eve, and then eventually they go back to whatever they're doing. So I'm not a huge fan um, of New Year's resolutions. This year uh, for New Year's Eve, um, we're at my house. Um, Allie doesn't stay up uh, until midnight. Um, just her thing. She doesn't like to stay up late. Uh, so. She was going to bed, and I went to say goodnight to her, and she was sitting on the edge of the bed, and she said, what's your hope for, for this next year? What's your hope? And I'll be honest, I was, a, I was a little embarrassed. I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about what was going to be different. I was more just thankful that 2020 was coming to an end. Um, I hadn't thought about what my hope was uh, for 2021. And so she says, I, my desire for 2021 is to spend time with God every day. Uh, and I just thought that was a, a great thing, not a resolution, a refocusing, a renewed desire for God in 2021. So Allie says this to me, and it just, it really made me think, like, how, how awesome that thought is. Um, I got stuff in my hands. Uh, how awesome that thought is that you're going to have a refocusing in 2021, a, a, a renewed um, desire for God. And the more I thought about it, the more it seemed like it really aligned with what I had been preparing uh, to talk about this morning. So this morning we're going to talk about uh, a man named Jacob. Uh, the title of the message is Growing Toward Israel. may not make a lot of sense right now. It hopefully will by the end of the, um, by the, end of the message. But we're going to talk about Jacob. And if you don't know who Jacob is, um, just a little bit uh, of who he was. Jacob was the son of Isaac. He was the grandson of Abraham, a very important person in the Bible. He's an important figure in both Judaism and Christianity. Uh, he's, a, he's what you would call the patriarch of the Israelites. Um, so he was like the head of the 12 tribes of Israel, not just the head, he was the father, he was their actual father, the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, he was also the father of Judah, one of, those, one of his children was Judah, and if you don't know Judah, through Judah's family tree is the Davidic line where um, David was born and ultimately where Jesus was born. So uh, he was the father of Judah, uh, the line through who Jesus was born through. So think about all this stuff that was imparted on this man Jacob must have been some, a, a pretty good man, right? For, for God to look at Jacob and say, this I'm going to give to you, Jacob must have been an awesome, awesome man. Well, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 32 today. And what I like to, um, to do whenever I, I'm going to go into a verse, I like to give a little bit of background of what happened prior to what we're going to be reading. So before we get into the actual words, in um, Genesis 32. Let's talk about Jacob and what happens between Genesis 25 through Genesis, Genesis 32. Let's talk about the type of man that Jacob was. So Rebecca and Isaac um, got pregnant, and she was pregnant with twins. And they weren't just the normal twins. The Bible says that the twins fought against each other in her womb. They wrestled against each other. It was just, just constant fighting. Now, I have two sons, and they fight constantly. Um, but they weren't born at the same time. They weren't even born in the same belly. 
and they didn't fight like that. Um, these were two twins that were just toiling back and forth in Rebecca's belly. Um, so eventually she gives birth. Esau, Jacob's brother, was born first, and Jacob was born right after. And it says that Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel as he was born. And this is uh, kind of a good uh, uh, example of the way Jacob lives his life, is just riding on the heels of someone else. Um, so Jacob and Esau are born. Rebecca loves Jacob, and Jacob is more of a homebody, if you will, right? He stays home, he likes to cook, he likes to um, keep the house in order, things like that. Isaac, Jacob's father, loves Esau. Esau is the typical man's man. The Bible talks about how hairy he was. Uh, he's out in the field, he's hunting, he's gathering, he's, you know, he's that typical man. And Jacob, I mean, Isaac loves Esau, and Rebekah loves Jacob. Well, some time passes, they're a little bit older. Esau's at home, he's cooking. And uh, it's not Esau, sorry. Jacob's at home, he's cooking, and Esau comes in after hunting all day, and he's starving. It says that he's starving so much, he thinks he's going to die. And he says, Jacob, give me some food. And Jacob says, oh, you want food? You want this, this wonderful meal that I just created? And he says, yes. And he says, fine, give me your birthright. And what birthright means is uh, when the oldest son is um, due two-thirds of the father's, whatever the father has is his inheritance. So he says, give me your two-thirds of father's inheritance. Whenever he passes, I'll get those two-thirds, and I'll give you this porridge. And so whatever, for whatever reason, Esau agrees, Jacob steals um, Esau's inheritance. And that's not all he did to his brother. A little bit later, as his father Isaac is older and he's starting to go blind, he says, Esau, go out into the field, capture something, cook it up, bring it to me, so that I can bestow the blessing that God gave onto me. I'm going to give it to you. This, this wonderful blessing, if you read in the, in, the, in the Bible, blessings, the way that true blessings happen in the Old Testament is they would be imparted on someone, and that person would impart it on someone else, and it would kind of stay in the family, if you will. So uh, Isaac says, Esau, go cook something, and I'm going to give you my blessing. Well, Rebecca overhears this, and she pulls Jacob aside and says, hey, go kill the goat, and then we're going to make you seem like Esau. So Isaac will give his blessing to you. So he goes and they kill the goat, they cook it up, he brings it, he pretends to be Esau, they even cut up the goat, and they put the hair on his neck and on his arm, so when Esau reaches out and touches him, he thinks that he's hairy, uh, when Isaac reaches out to touch him, he thinks he's hairy Esau. So Isaac tricks, uh, Jacob tricks Esau into giving him, there's too many names, Jacob tricks Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing, and Esau's furious. He's sad, he's furious, he's upset, and he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. So Rebecca says, run, get out of here. So Jacob leaves, and he goes and he starts living with this man named Laban. And he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Leah. And Laban says, I'll let you marry Leah if you work for me for seven years. So Jacob works for him for seven years. It's his wedding night, and he goes, um, and he uh, lays with his wife. And it turns out the next morning, it's not Leah. It's Rachel, Leah's older sister. So Jacob's like, what's going on, Laban? You gave me the wrong wife. And, and uh, Laban says, give me another seven years, and I'll let you marry Leah. So he gives him another seven years, marries Leah. So now he's got two wives that are sisters. So what do you think happens? Trouble, trouble all kinds of trouble. They start fighting back and forth. They, it's all about who can give him the, the, the number of kids, which is why you ha he has 12 children that are the 12 tribes of Israel. But when they can't give him kids anymore, what do they do? They go to their handmaids. And their handmaids start having Jacob's kids. So it's a big, dramatic mess. Sounds like someone who should be on Jerry Springer. Um, so 
eventually, he starts to um, have such a big family and such big wealth himself, he needs to separate from Laban. So he goes to Laban and he says, listen, I want to separate. And he tricks Laban into giving him most of his cattle. And when he realizes that Laban's not very pleased with him, in the middle of the night, he takes his family, he takes all his stuff, and he splits. And Laban now is ticked off that this guy left with his daughters, left with his cattle, and he starts to hunt him down. They finally meet up. They kind of... Uh, make amends, and they come to an agreement that they're going to leave each other alone. And it's right after that that God tells Jacob, it's time for you to go home. It's time for you to face Esau. So Jacob, understandably, is pretty scared. He's going to face this brother that he stole his inheritance and he stole his blessing from. And then he gets word that Esau is coming to meet him, and he's got 400 men with him. Jacob doesn't know what to do. So what he does is he splits his family in half, Half's here, half's over there, so if Esau does decide to attack, at least half of them should be able to get away and survive. And on top of that, he takes gifts and he starts sending people away in different, um, different timings. So as Esau is coming, he's going to keep getting greeted with all these different gifts that Jacob is bestowing upon his brother. What kind of man does this sound like? Doesn't sound like this great man, does it? Jacob is a swindler. Jacob is a liar. Jacob is selfish. Jacob is greedy. He's a trickster. He's a manipulator. This is what the name Jacob represented. In fact, the name Jacob means supplanter. And what that means is someone who takes over something that belongs to someone else. Jacob is not a good man. Anything he wants, he'll trick, cheat, steal, rob, and lie to get. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. It says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So let's talk about what happens here. So Jacob... He separates his family, he kind of goes off by himself, and he's laying there by himself, and out of nowhere, a man jumps on him, and they start wrestling. I don't know about you, but if I was woken, awoken by some guy just wrestling me in my sleep, uh, it's going to be pretty shocking. Now, this could have been Esau, it could have been any of Esau's men, who knows, it could have been one of Laban's servants, anyone that he'd kind of um, duped over over the years, that, that he made enemies of, any one of them could be the ones who are wrestling Jacob right now. So Jacob feels like he's in the fight of his life, and it says the night passes. They wrestle all night long. And this uh, man, whoever it may be, sees that Jacob's not giving up. He's not backing down. He's not throwing in the towel. And so what does he do? He supernaturally touched Jacob's hips and pops the joint out of socket. Now, if I'm wrestling someone and they go like this and my hip pops out, I realize that that's just not some guy. Jacob realizes in this moment, I'm not wrestling just some guy. I'm wrestling something supernatural, whether it's you know, God or um, you know, pre-New Testament Jesus or an angel. It's something supernatural that I'm wrestling. Now, if I'm wrestling someone and I realize that they're supernatural and they can just touch my hip and pop it out of joint, uh, I'm backing down. I'm probably going to give up. Is that what Jacob does? No, Jacob actually sees this uh, this as an opportunity, like he does throughout the rest of his life. It's an opportunity uh, for gain. Um, he sees this situation opportunity for personal gain. 
and he refuses to stop unless he is granted a blessing. This is Jacob. This is still, you can still see Jacob the trickster, uh, Jacob the selfish person here. And then the man asks a question. And this question has a lot more behind it than you may initially think. Remember, this is God or Jesus or some kind of an angel. Remember who he's wrestling right now. They know who they're wrestling. They know who Jacob is. They were probably sent there to Jacob specifically. They knew exactly who it was that they were wrestling. And what does this man ask uh, in verse 27? He says, what's your name? What is your name, the man asked. Jacob, he replied. That leads to a question. Why, Why ask Jacob's name? What is the purpose of asking a question to someone that you already know the answer to? Well, by making Jacob sell it, say his name, by making Jacob tell him his name, he's making him confess to all that his name represents. Remember, who is Jacob? He's a trickster. He's a supplanter. He's a liar. He's selfish. He's greedy. It makes him uh, confess to his past, his trickery, his selfishness, his drama, his greed. By saying Jacob, he's saying, I'm a trickster, I'm a liar, I'm a con man, I've lived selfishly. I have duped others to obtain everything that I have. By saying Jacob, he's telling him, this is who I am. I am not a good person. God makes him confess his sinful past. And then what happens when he confesses it? Verse 28. The man says, or the angel says, or, or God, or Jesus says, your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. Now think what it says. Why is it Israel? Because he struggled with God. Remember that. Then Jacob asked him, well, please tell me what your name is. But he answered, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. What, what, what's this response here? He says, your name's Israel because you struggled against God. And then Jacob says, well, what's your name? And he says, I just told you what my name is. You struggled against God. I just told you who I am. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Now keep in mind where Jacob was at at this time, right? What's going in his mind? What's going on in his personal life? Um, he's fearful to meet back up with his brother Esau. He's scared of all the enemies that he's made over his, the course of his life all these years. He's tired of the drama. He's tired of the junk in his life. Who can relate to that? Who here can relate to that? You're just tired. You feel like your efforts afford you nothing. You try so hard, but it never seems like you're making any progress. I'm at work and I'm trying really hard. Why can't I be more successful? I'm trying really hard at church. Why, why isn't pastor pounding on my door and saying, I need you to run this ministry? Why can't I be more successful? Why can't I uh, be happier? Why can't I uh, be at more at peace? Why is this happening? God says, you're no longer Jacob. You are now Israel. Basically what he's saying is, Jacob, if you want my blessing, Jacob, you can't continue living as you have been. You cannot continue tricking others, manipulating the system, working, as your, working in your own power. If you want my blessing, Jacob, you need to be different than you have been. If you want my blessing, the blessing God has planned for you, Jacob, you will need to stop being Jacob. You need to start to become Israel. There's a process... That God, uh, that God has for all of us. It's a changing for us, making you more Christ-like in this process. It's called sanctification. 
This is a continual process. It begins in the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior. When you realize that you can't get to heaven on your own, you realize that your sin is preventing you from going to heaven one day. And you realize that the only chance that we have is the death of Christ on the cross and the gift that he gives us uh, when he was raised back to life. And you accept that as your personal gift. From that moment on until the day that you are made complete and you're in, in heaven with Christ, there's a process of sanctification. And it means a setting apart for specific use. We are to be set apart for God's use. Christian, you are to be set apart for God's use. Apart from what? What am I being set apart from? Set apart from everything, everyone else. Set apart from those who don't have a relationship with the Lord. Set apart from those without a holy calling. Without your holy calling. We are to be different than the world. Not the same. To paraphrase, sanctification happens as those sinful parts of us are removed and replaced with the characteristics of Jesus. And we should all be striving for that sanctification. We should all be striving for whatever our Israel is. Whatever God's called us to. And this is what we see in this interaction with Jacob. He says, bless me, God. He's going back to his old ways. He's going back to his tricks. And remember, he's already received the blessing from Isaac. He's already met with God. God's already promised him a bunch of stuff. But he keeps living his life the same way he lived his life to get that blessing from God by deceiving, by tricking, by manipulating the system. And so he uses this opportunity. He's wrestling with, this, with, with God, and he says, bless me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And God says, fine. You want my blessing? Then get out of the way. Stop depending on your own abilities. Stop focusing on success by human standards. Stop manipulating people to get what you want. He says, stop being Jacob. Stop acting like someone who doesn't have God. Stop acting like someone who doesn't have Jesus. Now, I'm encouraged by Jacob, and this is the reason why. So he, God changes his name from Jacob to Israel, but after that, Unlike other people, Abram changed to Abraham, Saul changed to Paul. When they change their names, most of the time, that's how they're referred to for the rest of their story. When Saul changes to Paul, they refer to him as Paul from that point on. Not Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel, and he's called Jacob more often than he's called Israel for the rest of his story. And the reason why I think that's encouraging is that it wasn't this instant change. He didn't wrestle with God, God says your name is Israel, and then he was this amazing man who never, never failed and never struggled and never sinned again. Like us, Jacob was going to need to grow over time into what God had planned for him. Sanctification. Now, as we grow toward our Israel, whatever that calling is, maybe you're called to be a preacher, maybe you're called to be a missionary, maybe you're called to be a, a godly mother, a godly wife, a godly man, a godly husband, maybe you're called to help out in kids, uh, kids worship too which we need helpers for. Uh, maybe you're called to help plow and help clean up the, the, the parking lot around the church when it snows or, or mow the lawn. Whatever you're called to, that's your Israel. God made you for that purpose. And we need to be living toward that. So as we um, grow into our Israel, there's some things that we need to keep in mind about sanctification. And the first is this. Often we need to be broken to be further sanctified. This is a hard pill to swallow. That's why I started with it. We have to be broken in order to move closer to God. It might be painful. It might be a struggle. 
In James chapter 1, it says, Consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So James is telling us, listen, God's going to use those hard times. God's going to use those trials. God's going to use those struggles to help you become more mature, to help sanctify you, help you go cro- grow closer to what it is that you can be in God. He's going to use those times. We should embrace struggles. We should embrace hard times and trials as God uses these things to help grow and develop us. I was talking to Pastor yesterday about Kirsten before he came up. I didn't know he was going to talk about it. Um, and we, he was, we, uh, we were actually talking about this. We were actually talking about this specific um, section of, of the message. And, he, and we said, I said to him, you know, God really uses those times. And, and you know, sometimes where you break and, you, and you're put back together, that part is stronger than it was before. And he says, you, I, I tell you, this year because of what's been going on with Kirsten, because of everything that he's been, I'm not trying to take this away from your message if you're going to preach this later, because of uh, what I've gone through, I've, I've felt like I've grown. I feel like I've grown more this year than I have in a long time. And I can tell you, if I look back and I say, all right, why am I more mature today than I was before, other than just my age? Well, it's because I, I, I've gone through things. When I go through something, I'm more mature from it. Now, did I go through it perfectly? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. I put on the pity party. I cry, I whine, I complain, just like everyone else. Um, but I grow through those hard times. We should embrace those struggles. Now, where do we see that? Let's go back to our friend Jacob here. This is right after he wrestles with God, and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And it says, Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. He said, yet my life has been spared. Then the sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is in the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. Why is he limping? Because he wrestled with God. God touched his hip. He had a battle wound. He didn't hide it. He embraced it. It says he limped, and so much that Israelites, even to that day, didn't eat that part of the muscle because it was honorable to God, because it meant something. You can look back at the, the wounds that you have, the hard times that you've gone through, and you're either going to grow from them or you're going to be miserable because of them. God allows those things to happen. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because he wants them to become, go from good to great. Because he wants them to be even greater. He wants them to be even stronger in God, to be even more full of peace, more full of joy. He wants you to be Israel. And so he's going to let those bad times happen because that's how he's going to grow. The world doesn't want to wait. They don't want to struggle. They don't want a hardship. But the Bible tells us that's exactly where we will see God is in the struggle. Paul finally meets God. When does Paul finally meet God? After being blinded. David finally confesses and repents killing Bathsheba's husband. When? When he's confronted by Nathaniel. Joseph grows into the man that God showed him in his dreams after he's sold into slavery, imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit, and forget about, forget about by the cupbearer who he helped. Then he becomes Joseph. And Jacob did not see the need to change until he was, being, until he was at his wit's end and wrestling God through the night. There's an old Japanese art form called kintsugi. 
Has anyone ever heard of it? Kintsugi? Well, a couple people. Um, in the late 15th century, there's a Japanese shogun. Shoguns were like the, the warlords. And he had this prized teacup that he loved. And he dropped it or he broke it. Somehow it broke. And he was, he was really upset and he wanted it fixed. So he sent it away to a craftsman to be, uh, to be fixed. And when he got it back, he opened it up and he wasn't very pleased. They used these big, thick, metal, ugly staples to hold together this, this beautiful cup. And he was not happy at all. And so he basically said, who can fix this? And so a local craftsman took it and he repaired the, the cup by putting it together and then filling all the cracks with gold epoxy and dusting it with gold. And this produced a piece that was far more beautiful than the original cup. He filled those cracks with gold. And we are much like this, Christian. We come to Christ when we first get saved broken. We are broken people. And we come to Christ that way. And then we'll continue to be broken by trials, by struggles, by doubts, anxieties in our lives. We will continue to be struggles. We grow closer and closer to God. And these breaks are actually opportunities for Christ to shine more through us. These are opportunities for us to be a more beautiful person to the world through God. Think about 2020. It was rough. It was rough. And, I don't know, you, you small talk with anyone that you work with, anyone that you see at the store, and they just go down this laundry list of why 2020 was tough on them. What kind of an impact would you have if you said, well, praise God, here are the good things that happened for 2020. How much of a difference would, would, would that have been? Why? Because we're broken. And this is an opportunity for us to shine Christ into the world through our brokenness. Right? Just like this pottery. Look how beautiful that is. Now, those of you who have an artsy eye, you might find it a little bit more beautiful than others. Some people might look at that and say, it looks like it's a broken thing. But I'm telling you, some someone who was, who was an artsy guy, this is beautiful. Right? It's, a, it's more beautiful than just that. If, if you took that gold out, that's a plate you could get at Target. Right? God wants us to be beautiful in him, and this is how he does it. So number one, first thing is, if you're going to be sanctified, you're probably going to go and have to get broken a little bit. There's going to be some breaks. There's going to be some hard times. And how you go through that hard times is how God's going to help, help shine through you. Second is that sanctification comes when our minds and our hearts are set on God. We're going to read in Colossians chapter 3, um, just to give you a little preamble of, of what happened before Colossians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church of Colossus. And uh, at the end of chapter 2, Paul's telling the church to not be fooled by people who are teaching them that they need more than just Jesus. Jesus alone is enough for salvation. We all know that. We've all heard that. Um, there is no need to follow these additional man-made religious-type rules that are in addition to the Bible. It's Jesus alone, and, and Paul's telling the church that. So after he tells them that, so remember, it's Jesus alone. You don't need to do all this extra work. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, So, if you have been risen with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden in Christ God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In glory. 
right before, um, so basically, uh, Paul's telling the church, listen, if you, you don't need to do all those other man-made man -made rules. And he knows what the next question is. You see this all the time when you, when you read through Paul. Paul's very smart where he thinks ahead and he says, all right, so where's, where are they going to push back? I'm going to give them this teaching, and they fight back, and he says, where are they going to say, you're wrong, Paul? Or where are they going to say, well, here's the loophole, here's the loophole. And Paul knocks them all out. He does this often when you see him uh, see it in his letters. And so he says, listen, you don't need to follow man-made laws. And so then they say, okay, cool, I'm just going to go start killing people and, and robbing places and, and cheating on my wife. They're going to do all these crazy things. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't a loophole. He says, instead, set your mind on the things of God. Because if your mind is set on the things of God, you won't want to do those things. Not because someone's telling you that you can't, but because you're choosing not to. Your life will change. That's what he's telling us, right? That's the difference between legalism and sanctification. So right before, um, let's go back to our friend Jacob here. And we know that he wrestles, right? He's alone, and this man starts wrestling. Right before that happens, what, what does Jacob do? Then Jacob said, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family, and I will cause you to prosper. Remember, God told Jacob to go back to Esau. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with my staff, and now I am become two camps. He separated his family, right? So he's in two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children, and my, all of my wives and all of my kids over the years that I've gathered. You have said to me, I will cause you to prosper, and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. So he's, going, he's referring back to the first blessing that he stole from his brother. God met with him and told him these things. So Jacob is doing what? He's setting his mind on the right things. Right, he's freaking out, so what does he do? He separates his family, he starts sending all these gifts, he goes back to Jacob's way of thinking through things. If I want something done, I'm going to have to do it. I'm just going to use my own natural skills, my own natural abilities, which is lying and tricking, and I'm going to trick Esau into not killing me. And then he is finally alone, and he prays to God. And he says, God, you promised me this. I'm claiming that promise. He says, God, I'm scared, man. You need to help me here. What does he do right before God wrestles him and gives him a blessing? He turns his mind and his heart back toward God. To continue in our sanctification, for, to continue in our setting apart from everyone else, our minds and our hearts have, uh, uh, need to have God fully at their core. It should be what makes us do what we do is God. We should strive to think more on God. Think on him throughout the day. We should strive to speak with God more. We should strive to listen and to hear more from God under the preaching, uh, under devotions, uh, reading the word. When God is the center of our focus, we are more apt to rely on him and not on ourselves. And we've all been there, right? Uh, I know I do this at work all the time. I, things are going 1,000 miles an hour. The last thing I do is think about God, and I'm just trying to get things done. And God's telling us, hey, Pat, stop. Don't. Don't. That's not how I'm telling you to live, right? And then what happens to me? I get burnt out, I'm tired, I'm stressed out, and God says, I don't want you to live that way. Instead of trying to go a million miles an hour and do it on your own, just trust me. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying I'm going to take care of you, and I'll sanctify you 
And you're going to shine brighter. You're going to be like that broken clay, and you're going to shine to the world. So first is that we may be broken. Second is that we need to set our minds and our hearts on God. And lastly, sanctification will come when we, des- when we identify the desires in our lives that go against God's way, remove them, and replace them with the desires that align with God. Going back to Colossians, it says, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So Paul says, uh, he lists off a number of things that shouldn't be part of our lives. Now I want you to really take note of the words Paul uses here. Again, Paul's not dumb. When Paul uses a word, he means that word. He says, put to death. Think of how intense that is. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. He's not just saying, hey, stay away from it. Try to ignore it if you can. Right? If you're walking down the street and that sin comes away, just sort of cross over like this. No, he says, put it to death. Kill it. You ever watch whoever, who likes horror movies? Anyone? So what always happens at a horror movie, right? The the main character finally meets up with the murderer and they shoot him, right? Or whatever. They kill him, stab him, whatever. And the murderer is there, laying on the ground, and what does the person think? They assume that he's dead. And then they just go along the merry way, and no matter what movie you're watching, what happens? Suddenly they turn around, the body's not there anymore, and he jumps out of a closet or something, right? Always happens. Now Paul's telling us the exact same thing that we would be telling that main character. What do you say, right? He stabs him, and he's walking away. What do, we, what do you always say? Right, kill him, right? Make sure he's dead. Empty the clip right into his head, right? Whatever you need to do, you make sure that guy's dead because he's trying to kill you, right? Any normal person, if someone came at me and he's been chasing me around my house or whatever, I'm not going to just assume that he's dead from a little hit in the head. I'm going to make sure he's dead. And Paul's telling us to do the same thing. He's like, listen, kill it. Put it to death. Don't play around with it. Don't think that you're stronger than it is. It will get you every single time. It will burn you. If you have a problem with alcohol, then don't go to a bar. If you have a problem judging people when you go on Facebook, maybe take Facebook off your your phone. Well, Pat, I can't. I have have a a social media presence. Well, you know what? What's more important? If you can't look on Facebook without judging people, let me tell you, judging is wrong. It's wrong. The Bible says it. You you can try to to put an excuse and say, well, this is why I judge them. They, They said something bad to me. They gave me a bad look one time. It doesn't matter. Judging is wrong. And if you can't look on Facebook without being tempted to judge someone, then get rid of Facebook. Paul tells us to put it to death. I would throw my phone against the wall, right? Whatever it is. If you can't go to the movies without watching something dirty in the movie, then don't go to the movies. This is setting our mind on the things of God, right? Not because a pastor's telling us you're not allowed to go to the movies. A pastor's saying you can't go to a bar, but if it's a problem for you, it's something that's tempting to you, Paul tells us to put it to death. Not a passive feeling, but a fearful hatred. Put it to death. In verse 9 of Colossians, it says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self. Once you're saved, that's sanctification. We're putting off the old self with its practices. And we have put on the new self. It's not enough to just put off the old. We need to put on the new. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Think of this as that beautiful bowl with the gold filling, right? You remove the old. 
expose all these cracks. Well, you got to fill those cracks with something. You fill them with God. That's where you put on the new man. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and the list goes on. Paul goes on to list a number of really good things that we should be replacing the bad things with. It's not just removing the bad things from our lives, it's replacing them with the right things. So let's look at what Jacob does. Now you'd think that after wrestling an angel and getting your hip popped out of the socket, and being called Israel by God, that you would change your life up a little bit. But that's not really what we see with Jacob. The drama continues. Not so much with Jacob. There's some stuff that happens with his kids, and they, they murder a bunch of people, um, and Jacob really does nothing to stop it. Uh, he tells them, like, hey, I'm mad at you, and that's pretty much it. Um, Jacob continues to live in the drama. He continues to kind of live the way he was um, until God visits him again in chapter 35. It says, God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there, build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, and this is, this is big, guys. So Jacob, remember, he starts to live this life the same way he was living it, very Jacob-esque. And God says, listen, you need to go to Bethel. You need to, you need to get back to when I gave you my blessing. So he gets up and he goes to his family and says, get rid of your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to the God who answered me in the day of my distress. He has been with me. It's everywhere I have gone. Oh, he's been with me everywhere I have gone. So we're going to skip down uh, to verse number 9. So after, after God, after Jacob goes to his family, and they, now when Jacob's wives left Laban, they took the false gods with them. All right? So as he's traveling around, they're not following just the, the real God. Their sin, the false gods, is being dragged around with them everywhere they go. And when God says, go to Bethel, um, Jacob finally ad addresses his family and says, get rid of the false gods. We're going to go meet with God. Purify yourselves. Right? Let's get right. Let's remove the old and put on the new. And because of that, we see verse 9. God appeared to Jacob uh, after he returned to Padan Aram. And he blessed him. Sorry, I don't know how to say that. Padan Aram sounds like a song. Uh, God said to him, so guys, let's, let's, let's take note here. This is the second time God's doing something. He's never do he doesn't do this anywhere else. He already changed his name to Israel. He goes back in verse 10 and he says, God said to him, your name is Jacob. What does that mean? You've gone back to Jacob. You are Jacob again. You're living very Jacob-esque. You will no longer be Jacob. Your name will be Israel. You are destined for something greater than what you're doing. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you. I will give you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and I will give you the land, uh, I will give the land to your future descendants. So you, he's going back and talking about the blessing that he originally gave Jacob. So God does something we don't see him do anywhere else. He tells Jacob a second time that his name is changed to Israel. 
God blesses Jacob. Why? Because he removed the idolatry. He removed the sin from his family and he filled it by, with purification. He says, get rid of that. Let's purify ourselves. Let's get clean. Let's remove the old and put on the new. Um, God blesses Jacob by removing the idolatry from his family by reminding him that he is not the same man anymore. Jacob is not held captive to his former self. Many of us have had that gentle reminder from God before, right? Maybe you've gone a little bit, you haven't really read your Bible like you want, you haven't really prayed, and you, you, know, you, you finally are convicted enough that you actually open the Bible, you dust it off, you read something, you pray, and all of a sudden you get this renewed passion for God, right? Who's been there before? This is exactly what we're seeing with Jacob. He's, it's not that he's, his name wasn't Israel anymore. It's that God said, listen, I've already told you this. You're not Jacob anymore. Stop living like Jacob. Start living like Israel. I love you. I don't want you to have to struggle and toil the way you are. Just, just trust me. Just live for me. Get rid of that junk in your life and instead put on the good stuff. Focus on me. And that's what God tells us. Salvation is not the end for us. It's just the beginning. Like Jacob, God has called all of us to something. What is your calling? What is God telling you? What is your purpose for God? He didn't save you by accident. He saved you so that you could then, in turn, be a light to the world. Through your calling, whatever that may be. What is your Israel? God wants us to grow toward our Israel, the person he's called each one of us to be. So embrace the brokenness. Set your mind on the things above. Remove the old and put on the new. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.